up to me this morning and goes, Jason, you're live, just so you know, before I walked in here, and fear just went right through my body. Like, what, have people been listening to me for some time now, or what? You meant when I turned it on, there's no one up there to turn me on. <laughs> uh, this morning, we're going to be talking about eternal life, and uh, we have an ornament, uh, and I'm doing a message on Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, these are very much related, and so when Todd goes, hey, you want to preach on eternal life? I said, well, I've already started my message on Emmanuel, God with us, but that looks like that's going to work perfect. Uh, of course, John says, this is eternal life, that you would know the Father and the Son who he has sent. Eternal life is that God does come to dwell among us. And this was the reason that he sent his Son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. Uh, it is the gift of God. The gift of God is eternal life. Eternal life has come in the past through Jesus, who is the Emmanuel. And we now know eternal life through the Spirit of God, a deposit of eternity who dwells in all of us. And we will come to know God in the new heavens and the new earth as there is no longer any temple and God dwells among us forever the hope of eternal life yet to come. So you see there's a past, a present, and a looking forward to the fullness of what eternal life will be, us with God forever. So we do have a gift, and in keeping with what we've done before, I'm going to ask somebody to come up and to receive this gift and to share, man, we got a quick one over here, what, what, and, and it's mine, so I'm always a little nervous, uh, going to share what eternal life means to you. God with us means to you. Do we have any volunteers? Any, any whatsoever? Man, we got tons of them. We've got tons of them. Have you yet done this? Have you yet done this? You two guys, come on up here. Colby, Noah, we're going to let both of you do it, all right? So, I want you to share, first of all, what the gift of eternal life, God with us, means to you. God's word, knowing that he is the one. Very good. Whosoever should believe will not perish but have eternal life. Very good. The truth of the promises of God's word. That's very good. What about you, Noah? I'm not good. You're not good at this stuff. <laughs> well, no, Noah, come back up. Come back up. You know what? I'm sure Colby won't mind if we let you hang the ornament up. Would that be okay? Very. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. Uh, I knew whatever Noah had to say, it would be a surprise. Well, so we are going to talk about Emmanuel, God with us. And I'm just going to tell the story of Emmanuel this morning. Uh, and I'm going to do it. Mark Hardy is my buddy, and uh, he gives me great ideas all the time. And so he did a lesson focusing on, what, what song did you focus on, Mark, in your lesson last week? Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to copy him. You know, that's the first rule of education, copy everyone. So uh, I'm, I'm not doing Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I'm going to do the obvious one, O Come, A Come, Emmanuel. And I'm going to tell the story, and I'm going to use the stanzas of this song. Oftentimes we hear things sung in, in songs about Christmas, and they don't always strike us as the most obvious. This is a, a great point in case. Uh, and so I'm, I'm going to begin with the first one. Ready? 
and I'm not going to sing. That is my gift to everyone this morning. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Well, this really reveals the longing character of Israel when the Son of God is finally revealed a little before the first century. Israel has been defined throughout its histories by two realities. Number one, exile to the great empires of the world, to the pagan satanic nations of the world. That has much defined Israel's existence. And number two, the covenant people of God who have enjoyed his blessings and through whom the blessings of God would be given for all the world. The people who God dwelled amidst. Well, Israel was born in exile. They are from their father Abraham. Listen to the calling of Abraham in Genesis 12. Go forth from your country, God says, and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, in Abraham, in his seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Did you hear the promise? That's great. Uh, and I'm going to give a quick story, but some people tell it better. So the quick story of Abraham's sojournings here, I'm going to pull out of Hebrews chapter 11. By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going, and by faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. Abraham and his descendants died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Did you hear it? Even at the birth of this nation through the father Abraham, they were strangers and exiles upon the earth. A very important identifying factor for Israel. God's people were longtime strangers and exiles, awaiting the promises of Abraham. And Matthew's going to pick up on this promise to Abraham with the coming of Messiah because Jesus is the son of Abraham. And the promised blessings of through Abraham to Israel and all the world would come through Jesus. But there's a story that comes off from Abraham. You see, eventually, he had one named Joseph that came from him. And he went to Egypt, and he was actually exiled to Egypt from his 11 brothers. And... Uh, Eventually, though, what they meant for evil, God meant for good. And so God rose up Joseph, and Joseph was actually God's means of delivering his 11 brothers and his father, all of Israel, from the famine that came. And so this nation came into Egypt. And eventually there came a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph. And some of you know the story, right? Eventually, these sons that make up Israel, the 12 tribes, go into exile in Egypt. 
And Pharaoh was concerned because while they were in exile for 400 years, God multiplied them greatly. And so Pharaoh, the, the, the ruler of the greatest empire the world knew at the time, decided he would afflict them greatly because it made him nervous that they were growing so much. And so God rose up one. And God delivered them through the Exodus. God took his people and raised them up and he brought them to himself on Mount Sinai. Listen to the story in our song. Ready? O come, O come, thou Lord of might, who to thy tribes on Sinai's height in ancient times didst give the law in cloud and majesty and awe. Exodus 19 is the birth of Israel's identity, God's people who he dwells among. And it also shows the ongoing expectation they have of deliverance by God from the pagan nations of the world. Listen to these verses. In the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. And Israel camped in the wilderness in front of the mountain. Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain saying, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so we see the nation Israel was actually birthed out of exile via the Exodus, where God overthrew the great satanic world empire of the time, Egypt. And he did it through great miraculous things. And he brought them where? To his presence on Mount Sinai. Now wait, because you're going to hear that all over again. I just want to let you know. And he brought them to himself. And if you remember the story, God came to dwell in a tabernacle among his people, right? And he led them by a pillar of smoke by day, by a pillar of fire by night. He was God with us, but not only in his deliverance to them through any enemies that they might have. He was God with us in the everyday. He provided daily at least six days of the week, manna from heaven to give them all of their provision. He provided them his law by which he lovingly ruled over all of his people. And he also provided for them, ready, the Aaronic priesthood, the priesthood of Aaron. Now that seems like a strange provision. What was that for? Well, the priesthood of Aaron worked to keep the place that God dwelled holy, the tabernacle. Why? So that God could continue to dwell amongst a sinful people. Well, Israel was to be God's possession among all the nations. And they, in turn, were to be a witness to the one true God. Indeed, all the nations of the world were God's, right? He's the creator of all things. And regardless of the strength of any given nation, God, all he must do is bear his arm from the heavens, and he can make short order of any great nation of the world. Well, the history of Israel is an interesting one. It's a history of people who have been exiled to the greatest satanic world empires the world has ever known. And I say satanic because Satan is always seen as behind these great empires. So it's important to go ahead and acknowledge the one who's behind all of those, correct? And so here we go. They are under Egypt. 
and then they come to be in exile to Assyria, and then Babylon, and then Greece, and then Rome. The greatest powers the world has ever known have had this small, seemingly insignificant people in exile throughout most of its existence. But Israel's God is the great God who rules all heaven and earth. And he acts in a grand and miraculous fashion to deliver his people. And he does it for a reason. He does it so that all the world might know that he alone is the one God. And there is no other. He delivered Israel in Egypt from great plagues and by parting the sea through Moses. No small act. He brought Israel into the promised land of Canaan, a land of giants, by the way, through Joshua. And he defeated the Philistines and their own giant, Goliath, and established Israel into the land through David, who happens to be the son of Jesse. And with David, we also come to find that the promises to Abraham would ultimately come through a king who is descended from David. Listen to this promise. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, says God, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you've gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make you a great name like the names of the great men who are on the earth. I will also appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again, nor will the wicked afflict them any more as formerly. That's no more exile, by the way. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers. Here's the promise. I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. So this is the son of David. His kingdom will be established. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me, a son of God. Well, Israel's expectations came to be defined by two things. A promise to Abraham of blessing to them and blessing through them to all the world, and a promise to David that a son that came after him would rule forever. A time when the wicked nations would no longer afflict Israel. A time when this Davidic king would build a house for God where God would dwell among them forever. God with us. And this would come through the promised Davidic king, which, by the way, you ready? Messiah, that's Hebrew. Christ, that's Greek, not a last name of Jesus. And uh, they all mean the anointed one. The anointed one is what you do to the king. So the anointed king of David, the one who would come, son of David, will be the Messiah, the Christ. Important terms for us. Well, eventually we come to find that David perishes, and so does his son Solomon, though that was the height of the kingdom. And the nation Israel was divided. It got real ugly after that. Um, and we see that the kings that followed Solomon were much like David and Solomon. They were flawed, and they did evil. And as the kings did evil, so did the people. And eventually, the Lord exiled Israel to the great nations of the world. The nation had split, 
and they continually went into wickedness and idolatry. And Israel first went into exile to Assyria. So Israel of the north went into exile to Assyria first, but soon after, because Judah was just as wicked, Judah of the south went into exile to Babylon. And the reason for judgment, and this exile was judgment, was Israel's failure to obey and keep the covenant. I want you to, it's really important here, the reason for their exile and the reason for their moving away from God's presence under the satanic rule of the empires of the world was because of their sin. So what's our root problem here? Sin. This is important. And it's going to come back about in, in Matthew. Well, God uses these nations because they're all his to discipline his people. But exile defined God's people from the deportation to Assyria and Babylon until the coming of Messiah. And this brings us into Matthew. That was a pretty short history, wasn't it? I think so. And you're going to find we've already done the work for our passage. So we've made up more ground than you can imagine right now. Well, if you'll notice, Matthew brings attention. And you can open up to Matthew right now if you'd like. We're going to make some references to him. The Hardys haven't walked out yet. We're doing all right. <laughs> Four minutes? That's what I got? Okay. <laughs> uh, well, you'll notice here in Matthew that he brings attention to the defining promises of Abraham and David and the sad reality of exile pending the coming of Christ in this genealogy. It's a very interesting genealogy that I'm not going to get too much into depth in, so everybody sigh of relief. Ah, okay. Well, in Matthew 1, 1, it starts off, the record of the genealogy of Jesus. And actually, in the Greek, this says literally, the uh, book of the beginning, the genesis of Jesus. It's a new beginning. The Messiah, the Christ, the anointed, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You see, the genealogy prepares us to interpret Jesus as the heir of the promises to Abraham, of blessing to Israel and blessing through Israel to all the world, and also the promises of Abraham to David, of the Davidic king who would rule forever and bring about the perpetual presence of God. You see, the coming of Messiah marks the consummation of Israel's epic story that began in Genesis. Here is the final scene. Matthew 1.17 sums up this story, so I'm going to skip through all the names and spare you, though those names tell an extraordinary story. Uh, the summary of that story is in verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David to the deportation in Babylon, a strange character in a, in a genealogy, by the way, uh, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. You see, this summarizes Israel's story. And it's a sad story, really. And there's three great chapters. Abraham to David. Looking pretty good, right? David to exile. And exile. And it turns up in hope again to the Messiah. This highlights Davidic, the Davidic lineage, obviously, right? Um, and his messianic identity in that. But it's significant to Israelites who are in exile to Rome right now 
that the coming of Messiah marks the end of exile. And thus we hear in that, in that song, right, about exile, an important part. Well, the emphasis of Israel's exile gives a particular shape to their history. The story of Israel is a story, you ready, about the collision of an immovable object and an unstoppable force. The unstoppable force is God's covenant faithfulness. And this is seen through his promises to Abraham and his promises to David that in the end he'll prevail as a force he's unstoppable. And Israel is God's chosen means of universal blessing. So he's going to accomplish it through Israel. But we also see this strange part of the story. And this is where all the tension comes. This one that was going to be the means of God, Israel, seems to be the immovable object. We see this in the genealogy with David's sinful taking of the wife of Uriah in Matthew 1.6. Uh, we see this in the legacy of the idolatry of the kings followed by David that we find in this genealogy. And as the kings go, guess what? So go the people. This is the story of Israel. And the tension is this, that God's solution to the world's problem in the end comes to, comes to be not a solution over their long history, but indeed part of the same problem. How will God resolve this great tension? How will this unstoppable force of God's covenant faithfulness overcome his obstinate and stubborn people? Well, Matthew's genealogy reveals a long and tortured narrative. And it reflects Israel's corporate sin. When Israel reads this, you know what they see? Sin and failure and sadness however there is the note of hope on the end of it that finally the messiah the one who saves his people from sins because you remember what was the root of it all their sins this one messiah who saves his people from his sins has finally come but where will we find this righteous king who will lead his people into victory. Well, opening of Matthew's gospel, I want to give you a quick context. And we're almost there, don't you worry. They're exiled to Rome, the greatest power of the world. Does it sound like a familiar story? And in fact, Rome was more deplorable than Babylon. And again, they're under the rule of a pagan nation. They're undergoing harsh treatment. They're privy to the political power plays of their time. They are weak, they're desperate, riddled with sin, and their only hope is that once again God would bear his arm from heaven, break through, and deliver them by his presence. That's their hope. The same hope they had in Egypt, the same hope they've always had, is that God who's over all the nations would finally break forth and make short order of the nations of the world and deliver them. That Emmanuel would deliver. But they need a Messiah they need someone to deal with the problem of sin, to save them from the consequences of sin, and to finally close the chapter on their powerlessness and the depravity that began with the deportation of Babylon. O come, thou rod of Jesse free, thine own from Satan's tyranny, from depths of hell thy people save, and give them victory o'er the grave. This is the time for the weed. And that's a wee. Here we go. Here's the ride. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. 
Now, the birth of Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, not his last name, remember, was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, not married, like engaged, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. This is God, very God. So she came to be a child with the Son of God. You hear the promises coming about? And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her because she came up pregnant before they were married, wanted to send her away secretly. He wasn't going to marry her. Now, this could present a problem, just so you know. And you're fixing to see why. But when he had considered this, sending her away, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. So here's God interceding so that Joseph doesn't go away. Some people thought maybe Joseph didn't matter. You're going to find that Joseph is a very important person in this story. So the angel of the Lord interceded and said this to him, Joseph, son of David. By the way, we just need to stop right there because this is the only time ever throughout Matthew's entire gospel that the son of David is referred to anybody other than Jesus. And it's right here to Joseph. Joseph, son of David, and for the discerning Israelite, his ears perk up, right? Because if it's a son of David, the promise of David could come through him. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the Christ who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. It's okay, Joseph. God gave her the child. She's bearing the Son of God. She will bear a son, and this command becomes real important. It's actually repeated because it's so important. And you shall call his name Jesus. Now, let me tell you why it's important. The naming of the child to a Hebrew is what determines his lineage. By Joseph naming the child and staying, guess what? Jesus, though born of God, is of the seed of Abraham. And not just the seed of Abraham. He is the son of David. And so, the angel of the Lord intervened for a very important reason. <laughs> Joseph needed to name this kid, and he would name him Jesus. The Lord saves, in Hebrew, Yeshua, because he will save us from our sins. What was the problem? The problem with exile, the problem all along, sins. Well, this is the one who would come, the seed of Abraham, the seed of David, who would save us from our sins, at last deliver us from this long and tortured exile. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Now, ten times Matthew interrupts his story. And it's not an interruption. It's actually the point of all his story. And so here, Matthew brings to the forefront the point of his story. So ready? Here's the point of all that story. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us an interesting point in this story and I'm not going to go into it because of time's sake and I planned on not going into it because my wife told me you're going to lose everybody there but this comes from Isaiah 7:14. I just want to give you context ready Ahaz wickedest king Judah ever had is now looking to be overtaken by the king of Aram and Israel, no less, who's teamed up together to overthrow him, take Jerusalem, and put their own king in. You see the problem here? And so God sends Isaiah and says, give him a sign, Isaiah. 
or Isaiah told him, God said to give you a sign, and you know Ahaz, because he's so righteous, says, oh, I'm not going to put the Lord God to my test. But what he's really doing is not aligning himself politically with Isaiah, because Isaiah, as a righteous prophet of God, was a very disliked man. And God goes, oh, yeah? Well, then I'll give you a sign. And that's the sign he gave them. I'm going to read it one more time. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Let me give you a, a backdrop here. Ready? The hope of the world in Israel was Judah. And here they are in their most wicked time, ruled by the most wicked, a nation divided, and Israel has joined with the pagan nations of the world to overtake them. It's the long old story. And Matthew just recalled it all back to the forefront right here. And you know what the answer is? It's what the answer has always been. It's what the answer is today, and it'll be the final answer in the end. God is with us. The nations of the world and Satan are no match. God is with us, Emmanuel. Well, Mark Hardy, my dear dad, says this. I don't know why we preach about a baby in a manger on Christmas. The point of his coming has always been his death on a cross and resurrection. Amen, Mark? We need to celebrate Easter on Christmas, Mark says. Well, Mark... Your long-awaited Christmas Easter message has finally come. And if you notice, if you pay attention to those songs that are very carefully selected, you'll see that every song preached the Christmas Easter that Mark chose up here today. And I did notice, Mark. O come, O come, thou key of David, come. And open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high. And close the path to misery. In Matthew's story, it's interesting. Jesus' identity becomes very ambiguous. He doesn't resemble the conquering king we expected. He does seem to have authority over evil spirits and sickness and disease. But, and there's a big but there for Israel. The pagan nation, Rome, the one Satan stands behind. What about it? Because Jesus doesn't seem to be conquering it. What about exile? Because let me tell you, it doesn't look like his program's going to accomplish that. How will the son of David at once finally lead us into God's eternal kingdom? That's the question. And his identity becomes revealed to the disciples in Matthew 16, 16. Listen closely. When Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter replies, because he's always quick to speak, yeah. Uh, he happens to be right in this case. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You hear all the story coming up at once as you hear these terms. I hope you do. Well, Jesus accepts this because he is the true king, though it's obvious he's not yet ruling. And it looks like this story's about to turn, right? He's been declared the king. It's fixing to turn, but then what does he immediately start telling them? So he started telling them immediately how he must go and die. <laughs> what? He's going to suffer and die. And they're like, no, no. Wrong story, Jesus, you missed it. That's not what's supposed to happen. And I'm going to jump ahead to the end. There's a bookend of the Emmanuel, God with us. That term is actually a major theme for Matthew, and thankful, uh, you guys ought to be thankful. I'm not going to play that whole theme out, but I'm going to take you to the very end. 
And at the end of this story, there's a bookend that brings the Emmanuel, God with us, which is eternal life, back to play. And I want you to listen very closely to it in Matthew 28, 16 and following. And I want you to hear all the promises brought to light right here. Ready? But the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain, which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him. Now, by the way, that should evoke in you a recollection of a story I just told you about the Exodus where God took his 12 tribes out of Egypt. And where did he take them? To Mount Sinai where they were to worship him. Do you hear it? The story is coming about right here. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying this. Listen closely. Think about the promises you're hoping for as Israel. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Here's our Davidic king. Here's our Davidic king who rules uncontested because he rules heaven and earth. And he says this, ready? Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, bringing them into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bringing them into relationship with God, very God, the one God who eternally exists as three persons Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I commanded you. Did you hear it? I don't know if you heard it just then. The promised seed of Abraham, through whom the blessing to all the nations has come. He's commissioning his disciples. This is the son of day Abraham. These are the promises being fulfilled right here. And then he finally says this, and lo, listen, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Here is eternal life, Emmanuel, God with us forever. The exiles ended. But how? What happened between Matthew 16 and Matthew 28? There's four questions that have to be answered that have not been answered yet. How did Jesus become king is the first one. How were the sins of the people dealt with? Because that was the ultimate problem, right? How was Satan defeated? Because we never saw that happen. And how did the unstoppable force of God finally win the victory for his sinful, rebellious, obstinate people? Well, the cross becomes a bit fuzzy for us sometimes because it's so packed full. But Matthew thankfully answers these four questions in four lenses he gives for considering the cross, which, by the way, is the answer. Lens one, the cross is the decisive royal act. In the cross, we see Jesus hanging as the king of the Jews. And he wasn't a king who failed. He was a king who perfectly loved God in perfect obedience and loved people as he loved himself even unto death. Jesus on the cross is the son of David who didn't fail and will never fail. Second lens, the cross was the decisive saving act of God. Jesus took on the sins of the world and bore the curse of sin, which was death in himself. He became the object of God's wrath so that the sins of the people would never again separate them from the presence of God. His name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Third lens, the defeat of evil. The cross is the moment when the forces of evil, even the satanic empires of the world, such as Rome, close in on the Son of Man. 
evil had its day. And they poured out their wrath until there was none left. They killed him. They humiliated him. They made him a spectacle to all the world. But Jesus prevails and disarms Satan. The power of Satan is the fear of sin and death. And the grave no longer holds those in Christ. Because in his resurrection, so death was defeated. Sin and Satan no longer have the power over God's people who are in Christ. And the fourth lens, the divine act. The cross is the work of Emmanuel, God with us. It's the final victory in which the Son of Man accomplished the saving purposes of the Father through his atoning death until the new day of resurrection. If anyone is in Christ, Paul says, new creation. It should have jolted you a little bit. It was supposed to. If anyone's in Christ, new creation, the unstoppable force of God's covenant love wins. And God himself accomplishes it. And who would have thought that God would become man so that his promises through Israel that was part of the problem would indeed be accomplished, but it's only accomplished because of Emmanuel with us. Can I get an amen? Amen. And so I ask you, who will separate you from the love of Christ, from Emmanuel, God with us? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? With Paul and two millennia of church witness, we confess together, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord, the Messiah. He will never, ever, ever leave us. The dark, long-awaited exile has ended forever and a bright new day has dawned in the resurrected Christ. Listen, O come, thou day spring, come and cheer. Our spirits by thine advent here disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. The cross and the resurrection accomplishes the purpose for which God called Abraham, the purposes for which he called David, the purpose which seemed to be thwarted by exile and their sin. But the powers, the great satanic nations of the world, they seem to be winning the victory at the cross. But what man meant for evil, you hear the old story, God used for good. But it's not just Israel's story, folks. It's our story the sons and daughters of Abraham who have the faith of Abraham. And if Christ has won the victory, why are we still strangers and aliens? Because we are, right? Well, the victory has been won. Death was, death was conquered on the cross. It was overcome, right? The power of sin and Satan. But you know what? It's not yet been judged. The judgment is yet to come. You see, eternal life is God with us. And in Jesus, God came to us, Emmanuel, and accomplished salvation. And he ascended and gave his spirit where God continues with us the deposit of eternal life to come. And we await the final day when there's a final judgment of Satan and the nations of the world, when the new heavens and the new earth come in, and we enjoy perfect eternal life, the fullness of eternal life forever. But they've not yet been judged finally. Why? Why? Well, let me say this. There's a now, not yet. 
They have been judged, and they will be judged, okay? It, it, it's both. But they're still awaiting a judgment. You'll notice Satan's still around, and so are the nations. I saw Mark Hardy thumb, and I had to give him his qualification. I'm kidding. I love him for that. Well, God in Christ is patient. He doesn't desire that any would perish, but that all might have eternal life. That's why he's not come and judged all the nations of the world. And Satan finally, because of his great love for all the world. And this brings me to eternal life. This is a gift that God gives to you. But he gives it to you that you might offer it to others in the proclamation of the good news of the Messiah, the seed of Abraham, the son of David, Emmanuel, God with us. Thanks to be to God for blessing all the world through Emmanuel, God with us. Go tell this Christmas story. And lo, he is with you always, even to the end of the age. Merry Christmas. Walk in the gift of eternal life until he comes.